Welcome to Steamcast, where STEM and the arts collide. I'm your host, Dan Kostelik, and together we're going to have conversations with the brightest lights and rising stars in the fields of science, technology, engineering, the arts, and math. Exploring the world that we live in, the science that makes it all possible, and the art that makes it interesting. This is episode 12, the fourth and final part of our Women's History Month series. This was recorded on Thursday, March 28, 2019, at the first annual Project Fibonacci Women in STEAM Congress, which was a professional development and networking event for young women and girls in high school and college. It featured a Women in Entrepreneurship panel, which was moderated by Jill Reel, the meteorologist for WKTV News Channel 2, which was the media sponsor for the event. And the panelists included the Honorable Bernadette Romano-Clark, Justice of the New York State Supreme Court, Christy Harrington, Professor of Art at Mohawk Valley Community College, Jenna Stanton, the 21-year-old owner of Soul Bowl, a restaurant in Clinton, New York. Maria Cantaridis, PhD, Director of Research at the Masonic Medical Research Institute. Linda Fake, owner of Uniquely Yours Interior Design. Dr. Stephanie Nesbitt, Faculty Administrator of Higher Education at Utica College. Sonia Glumich, Security Systems Engineer for the Air Force Research Lab. Kathy Dare a geo-environmental engineer and chief executive manager of TRM Environmental, and Master Sergeant Della Prey, instructor for the Air Force Junior ROTC at Rome Free Academy. Okay, so now you guys have introduced these wonderful ladies. So now we're going to get started with some questions. So I'm going to ask certain individuals some questions. So give you um, their answers. So the first question is, is define a great leader. What are some traits you think great leaders possess? First is Catherine Dare. No pressure. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to start with, you know, I, I've mentored a lot of engineers, and I think the first female engineer I came in contact with was the example of what I never wanted to be. and. And I want to say that because I think it's also important when you're trying to find roles and as women are moving up, um, sometimes that is an, it, can be, it can be daunting, right? So I think the first thing I saw was something I didn't want to become. Um, I think a leader needs to listen. I think it's really important to, um, there's a tendency to be afraid of people that, that you think know more than you do. But I think the best thing you can do is surround yourself with really exceptional people and, and form a team that is synergistic and a good leader will bring out the best in people and is not afraid to surround themselves with the best people they can. Great answer. Um, Stephanie Nesbitt? Do you want to repeat the question or are you done? I think I remember it. Okay. I just stole my answer. Um, <laughs> um, in some ways still my answer, in some ways my answer is different. So for me, a leader is a person who leads from the front. Um, and one of my favorite uh, leadership figures that I often reference in my classes when I teach is Major Dick Winters from the uh, story of the Band of Brothers. And one of his men, so this story, if you're not familiar with it, it tells the story of a company that uh, landed on the beaches in Normandy in World War II and um, how they progressed toward the end of the war. And men that le uh, worked under Major Winters said they had no idea how he survived because he was always in the front and always leading them and showing them the way. And so for me, a leader is a person who, who models that behavior that we should have. I want my team to be this, so I'm going to be that as well. And we do that through listening to our team. We do that through reaching out to our team. 
um, and, and being with our team, I think, on a daily basis. So for me, that's what a leader really means. Another great answer right there. And of course, next, Bella. Well, most of you said what I was going to say. <laughs> but I just want to let you know there's a difference between a leader and a manager. Some people think that leaders and managers are the same thing. A manager manages people, they manage things, projects, whatever. Leaders manage people. Um, to emulate what you guys have said also, you lead by example. So, and you have the ability, ability to motivate your people. So they're going to follow you just because you are who you are. And finally, uh, Judge Clark. Uh, I think leaders are bold and uh, not afraid and willing to step out in front, uh, as you said, uh, and uh, to be enthusiastic so that people will want to follow you or follow in your footsteps or be on your team. And I think that if you show enthusiasm and pride in your work and what you're doing, I think you can, you can do that. Um, I think there are some natural born leaders, but I think leadership comes from within. And when you have an idea or you have something that you want to share, I think people will uh, embrace that if, if you're enthusiastic and you're willing to step out and be bold. I agree with that. I also want to just add, you know, leaders also aren't afraid to make mistakes. You know, everybody makes mistakes, but they know how to overcome them. And people will learn from that, that it's okay to make mistakes, and that you'll grow from that as well. Okay, our next question, who inspired you and why? We're going to start with uh, Stephanie Nesbitt. Thank you. Must be my number keeps getting called. <laughs> um, I thought about this question a lot, and, and there were so many answers I could come up with. And, but when I thought about the one that really resonated with me, the person that inspires me the most is my niece. And she will be 19 in July. Her birthday is just a week before mine. And she's a special needs child. And I thought about why I feel so inspired by her. And, and the answer is this. She finds happiness in every moment of every day. So when I'm out there pushing hard trying to con conquer my next thing, because I'm, I'm sort of like that, I always am, um, she's at home thinking, if mom makes mac and cheese tonight, I'm having a good day. <laughs> so when things seem tough to me, I always think about my niece, and I give her a call, and she's happy, and she talks with me, and I say, what's mom making for dinner tonight? And mac and cheese. And everything is suddenly okay. And that inspires me to, to be better in an area that I'm not so good at, is being happy and joyful for the moment that I'm in. And Sonia? Well, definitely it is my mother who is inspiring to me. Uh, she was a homemaker, but in her own way, she was a scientist and engineer. Um, you know, when she was uh, a small child, I remember my, one of our family stories is my grandmother found her with a half-eaten rat that she was trying to dissect. Uh, <laughs> but in addition, you know, even though she was never formally trained, she's also a master carpenter, a master plumber, a master electrician. Um, I remember she redid our bathroom and the plans that she drew up were um, so uh, fantastic that the person that did the reviewing uh, at, at, for the city was, you know, wishing that his other plumbers would draw plans like that. Um, so she always kind of tackled everything, uh, was a perfectionist, uh, and tried to do uh, everything to the maximum of her ability. 
uh, one thing about women in general is we always tend to underestimate ourselves and uh, you know my mother is no exception so I'm always trying to remind her of what an incredible person she is and her incredible skill set uh, women in, in general tend to underestimate their skills and men in general tend to overestimate their skills. So that's something to keep in mind uh, that you're probably underestimating yourself when you're going out there uh, to do different things. So you know, make sure you're being realistic with yourself about your skill set because you probably have a great skill set. And uh, Jenna, would you like to answer the question? Yeah. Yes, uh, my mom was my inspiration as well for everything I have done in life so far. She is a classic car dealer, so that's an area in life that's really dominated by men. And so when she goes down to these auctions in other states, um, she often doesn't get treated the same. They look at her like she's silly, she doesn't belong there. They question her on things that she knows. And it's my favorite when she can just come right back and say it, and then they all shock her, <laughs> you know? Like, it's funny to me. And I've watched her do this through the years, and it makes me feel strong enough to go out there and do the same thing. People look at me all the time, like I'm 21, I shouldn't be owning my own business, I should just be in school, I should be working for someone else, and um, they often don't have any confidence in me at all that I can do this, and I like to try to show them that I can and that I'm capable of it. And I think that's something that we should all have is a little bit of confidence, even if we feel like we don't. We do. And great answer. And lastly, uh, Judge Clark. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg inspired me. Um, if you can watch any of the movies that are being done about her, you will see that she um, was um, the victim of discrimination uh, as a young Jewish woman growing up in New York City. Uh, she was told um, she had to be a homemaker and she fought that her whole life and she became uh, an attorney when women were not attorneys and she was discriminated there. She wasn't given any good assignments. Uh, when she became a lawyer she couldn't find a job even though she graduated near the top of her class and she was brilliant. And uh, that's kind of been my mantra, don't let people define you. Don't listen to people when they say, no, you can't. I spent my whole career with people telling me, no, you can't do that. You can't run for office. You can't be a judge. You can't do this as a woman. And she did too. So I kind of looked to her and I named my new puppy Justice RBG. So <laughs> that, that's it. That's great. Okay, our next question, which is perfect for this, this uh, scene, what advice would you give the next generation of female leaders? We're going to start with Catherine Dare. So I just had a really incredible opportunity. I was allowed to be part of uh, a group in Rochester that's called the Entrepreneur Network. It, they had the first ever class of all women entrepreneurs. Um, and they do angel investing and funding. And if you uh, look for Chloe Capital, they're one of the people that are sponsoring it. It's women investing in women, women entrepreneurs. And one of the things that in this class of all women that we all recognized and we all shared with each other, and there were women that were 21 to 70 in that room that were starting their own businesses. Women do not celebrate their success often enough or emphatically enough. Um, one, of the, one of the things I did with my kids is I 
understand the importance of positive affirmations. So I made them, when we would drive to school in the morning, because I would drive them in, it was a private school when they were young, I would make them repeat 15 positive things about themselves. It included cleaning up their rooms and making their beds, which never really happened. But <laughs> I think some of the other things did about success and believing in themselves. So I want you each to promise that you, when you are successful about something, whether you write it down, write it on your mirror and marker, do something, but please, please celebrate your successes because that's what you build upon when you want to do your next step. And I have to, just to piggyback on her, I have to I totally agree with her. Um, being a female, not only in a science career, but on TV as well, I can't tell you how many people try to bring you down. Pretty much happens on a weekly occurrence. <laughs> Uh, especially with social media. And uh, just last week, I, I uh, received a great award through the Genesis Group, and I didn't know how to accept it. I felt weird about you know telling my family about it to come. They actually surprised me. They're like, why didn't you tell us? I just felt awkward receiving this award because I deal with it on a daily basis of people just bringing you down. So it, it, eventually I got, you know, like, okay, you know, this is cool. But at first, I just didn't know how to accept it. So that's, that's really good advice. Um, and Judge Clark. Um, what advice do you give to Oh, to future leaders, sorry. <laughs> I got okay. so caught up in what she said. Just um, never let, never, ever, ever, ever let anyone tell you no. You know, just, I mean, believe in yourself and, you know, don't take no for an answer. I, I don't know how, I mean, that's so simple it seems, but it, you just can't. You have to forge ahead, believe in yourself. And don't let anyone else define you, what makes you, you. And, you know, I mean, if I did that, I don't know what I'd, I don't know what I'd be doing. I was in sales and marketing when I got out of uh, college because I was told again, oh, you can't go to law school, you know, you're a woman. So, I mean, you know, 13 years later, I went to law school. So you, you just have to follow your dreams and just be, be stubborn about it. Be obstinate about it. Be strong and believe in yourself. Great answer. Okay, our next question. Um, this is for Jenna. As a female entrepreneur, what has been the most significant barrier in your career? I would say it would have to be my age um, and also that I'm a woman. I actually think one of the funniest things is um, dealing with my distributors when, I have, when I'm excited to get a new product in. Sometimes they'll look over me and they'll look for the owner and I have to kind of flag him down like, no, hey, I'm right here, I'm right here. Um, and then they'll kind of come back down and they'll listen to me and we'll have a conversation and then it ends up being okay. Um, and also my opening day, we had a ribbon cutting and we had the local news people come in and they were looking to interview the owner. Um, so I went up to them and I said, I can answer your questions. How can I help you? And they kept saying, where's your mom? Where's your mom? And I said, well, she's in the back. She's a little busy, but trust me, I can answer any questions you have. And they're like, yeah, maybe, but where's your mom? So I had to go get my mom and I brought her out and they were like, okay, thank you for coming out. So how can, tell us all about your business. And she said, well, why don't you ask the owner? Right here, my daughter. So. Um, it's a constant struggle of trying to show people that I am the owner. Um, and I really don't know if that will go away until I get older. And I have to just keep reminding myself that it's okay and I'll 
go forward and I'll just keep doing what I'm doing because I'm so happy with what I'm doing. And I think that as long as all of you are happy in what you're doing in life, that you can accomplish anything. Great answer. And her, I've heard nothing but great things about her. Mm-hmm. The place soul bowl, so I have to give that a try. <laughs> okay, our next question. Um, I know this won't pertain to you guys right now, but it will in the future. How did you balance being a mother and a professional? What have you sacrificed both personally and professionally at each stage of your career? We're going to start with the debate. Well, I had been in the interior design field for quite a while when we decided to start our family. And unfortunately, with the time constraints and travel and the money I was getting paid, I couldn't really justify doing all of that to come home with little money in my hand and leave my children in someone else's care. So I decided to forego my career at that point and stay at home with my children until my youngest was three. And at that point, I started wanting something back for myself, but I wasn't sure how to do that and still be the mom I wanted to be, be the wife I wanted to be, be the woman I wanted to be, and be a good example for my children. And lo and behold, starting my own business, I created a plan where I would gradually start as something that was part-time and then ramp it up to being a full-time business by the time that they were old enough that I could contribute to college funds and put them through school. And thankfully, that plan worked out really well. But it did definitely take me longer to get to where I wanted to be than if I had stayed in the field. And one of those things with having been at home, I encountered two problems. One, ironically and sadly, I got a lot of grief from working moms because I was a stay-at-home mom. There are no right or wrong choices, ladies. You have to choose what's right for you. I chose the path that was okay for me not someone else's, and I didn't like being looked down by someone who had a full-time job because I was just doing something part-time so I could be that mom on the bus for the school field trip. So please, be kind to other women. (laughs) Um, Also, in order to kind of get my mojo back, I decided that there were two different parts of my business, sustainability and learning to work with a growing elderly population, if you will, as the baby boomers are all coming into that market. And there were certain certifications that I wanted to get, and I felt like if I could pass that exam, if I could pass that test and get that accreditation, it gave me back some of that mojo, some of that groove that I really wanted to get back to, and it worked. And so now I'm here today with the business that I wanted, a little bit further down the road, but it was worth every trial and sacrifice I made, so. And next up, uh, Catherine there. So one of the things that I remember very distinctly is I, no one ever no one ever really told me no, but I didn't accept it very well. So that was probably I probably didn't hear as many no's because I wasn't as accepting of people telling me that. Um, but I remember going through the guidance office and they're like, "Oh, you are amazing at science. You're amazing at math. You need to go into engineering." I'm like, okay, that sounds great, and it was good, and and I got my degree. Um, I didn't meet my spouse till I was out of college, but it was, it was because of where I went to college, because there was a relationship, um, it was a cousin of one of my sorority sisters. And then we got married, and, and, I was, and I knew eventually I wanted to have a family. But the trick was to get on all the really cool projects that would give me enough of a big enough resume, so if I wanted to step away, I wouldn't hurt my career as much. So these are, these are decisions I was making 
on some level a couple with, within four years out of out of college. Now the average male may not make these choices, but I inherently was. Okay, I wanted to make sure I had a big enough resume that no one could tell me no. Now in doing that, I went through a six month phase where I traveled three weeks out of four from Friday night to Sunday night because that was the cheapest flights and I was an EPA consultant. So they were like, oh, you have to, you have to fly when it's least expensive so it doesn't cost us anymore. Now my spouse was at the point, we had a, a very nice house. He was like, we need a trailer because you're never here and I'm home by myself with the dog. So after I did that, I knew he was really unhappy because I was never home. So I went into the office and I said, I'm going to work from home on Mondays and Fridays because no one in my house has time to fix the VCR. <laughs> so nothing works in my house and I won't be married and I won't have a house if I don't spend some time at home. And I said that to the office and they looked at me kind of strange and they were like, okay, I guess. I'm like, fine, done deal. This is what we're doing. And I, and I did that, and I fought for that, okay? And then, eventually, we lost some contracts. They downsized the office, but I was performing well, so they wanted to keep me on. And they moved me into an office with, with like, uh, attorneys and, and a whole bunch of other people. So I didn't work with them. So I'm driving into an office with a bunch of people that I'm not working with. So I said, this is it. I'm working from home full time. There was one other person in this firm that had ever done that, and they were like, really? I'm like, yeah, leave the office here. I'll come in if I have to, which was like once a month for like 90 days, and then I never did. And then, eventually, I had kids. But because I had worked from home for a, as a full-time person, I went back and said, I'm going to come back and work three days a week. And I'm going to tell you what three days a week it's going to be. And I will always work Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, full time, but I will not work on Monday and Wednesday. Now there were days I did, and, there, and I paid for a babysitter to be at my house for 12 hours to get eight hours worth of work done. My kids, my kids don't remember as much, and I, and I didn't travel, my kids, my kids, my daughter, who's almost 20, still remembers the day I got stuck in a conference call on her birthday because I couldn't help her make her birthday cake. But those days are very rare and that happened once. Because I was home, they were with me, and I made choices. Now, I never got to be an office manager. I was like a technical person. They never picked me to be the marketing person. I not never got recognized as a business developer and I own my own company now that last year we did $250,000 worth of business, okay? So those people didn't recognize that skill set because I made that choice to be home with my kids. The other women in my firm that were successful, that were managers, weren't married and didn't have kids. But you, I firmly believe that if you are successful at what you do and you work hard and you push back and say, this is what I want and I can be successful, then I think that's great. And one more story, because I know I'm going long. When I worked for EPA, EPA created this position where they realized that the average woman, if you let her work three days a week, and overlap two women, so there was one overlap day, and they each worked three days a week. They were happier and called out less than a full-time woman because her kids were sick, she was worried about her kids, she had to do stuff with her kids. So you need, so once I understood that statistic, I fought for creating that position for myself. Because I knew that gave me peace of mind to be able to go on the field trips, or maybe I shifted my day around. 
But I put in consistently those 24 hours until I was ready, and then I went back to a 40-hour full-time position. But nobody asked me a question when they said, oh, be an engineer. No one ever said, how are you going to be an engineer and a mom? Okay, so as my daughter goes to school now and she's picking her major and her, her minor right now, I said to her literally last week, I said, it's going to be great. You want to travel. You want to do international business. There will be a point in your, in your careers when you're doing your bios 10 years from now where you will want to have children and you may not want to travel to Greece and Germany and India once you do that. So make sure when you're thinking this through that you also realize that you craft or recreate yourself when you want to change what you're doing. And we all have the power to do that, but you just need to recognize the need to do that. Great answer. And by the way, those in, in the audience, a VCR was before the TV. kind of a unique story so um, I'm a single mom by choice and I guess uh, I had to I started teaching at Mohawk Valley at 26 and um, I was really career focused and I would say um, you know everyone has their own path but uh, what worked for me was picking one and really devoting to my career or family like I did my education and I tried to kind of bracket it into five-year periods and um, for those first five years out of my master's degree, I decided to devote to my career. And so I was doing that job search. I ultimately was very fortunate and um, got a job at Mohawk Valley Community College teaching. And, um, and uh, so I focused on my career until I was 38. And I said, wow, uh, I'm a sculptor. I'm always creating, you know, these sculptures were like my children. Um, I kind of want to create one of my own. And um, I had been uh, with someone for five years, a significant other, my boyfriend, and we were going to get married, but it fell through at the last minute. And this does happen, of course. Um, and I was 38, and I said, you know, I still want to do this. So I got a donor, and I got pregnant it took you know several tries and I had to go through fertility treatments which a lot of women today do um, being 38 I was a high-risk present pregnancy but so I kind of focused on my career I wasn't sure I wanted to have kids and the time went fast but I kind of um, share in what the other women were saying today it's that it's really important uh, in those first five years or the first ten years when you're focusing hard on your career really make sure uh, to uh, do your best strive for those accomplishments that then later will give you choices down the road. And so um, finally when I was able to become full professor, I was 38, I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I have a four-year-old now and um, I think the key is to invest in both, like your education. I think you can do your family first and then your, your um, career second or your career first, you know, that's my path. I don't think it's the only path by any means they can be integrated. Um, but the one thing I want to say for sure is uh, it's important to, you know, achieve, but it's also important to be kind to yourself. And it's really important to sleep. Like, make sure whether you're having your family or your work that you get that sleep. I can't say enough. Melatonin, like, ladies. <laughs> Melatonin. Um, and then just lastly, like, um, I was watching 
uh, the Today Show the other day, and the Today Show financial editor, Jean uh, Chansky, was amazing, and she had this whole program on and about negotiation and stuff, but she did say about our girls and daughters, teach our daughters about investing, talk about money at the dinner table. Um, when you're out getting money, tell them where your money's come from. So as a mom, like, try to integrate that early, just something to keep in the back of your mind, and also something to maybe ask your mom about, you know, um, so that you have it now, and then you can give it later, and just keeping that consciousness about, about money in the forefront, um, I think is really important to balancing, um, you know, being a mom and your career, so. The whole sleep thing, I, I get up at 2.45, so um, yeah. I don't really sleep. Um, our next question, what are, what are you doing to assume you continue to grow and develop as a leader? We're going to start with Stephanie. This is something I work on all the time because, uh, and I was talking to Elaine Varga about this earlier, um, as women we tend to think we don't really belong. And I, I was telling a story, I was getting ready to go on stage to speak at a, a conference at Hamilton College, and I turned to a senior colleague and said, I have no idea why I'm here. I don't know why they chose me, I don't know what I'm doing. And he looked at me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, fake it till you make it. <laughs> so I feel like every day I'm pushing to learn to become a better leader, and sometimes I feel like I'm faking it, but it's this continual exercise. So for me, a lot of this comes because I teach leadership courses in our MBA and our business programs. So as I'm a student of leadership along with my students, I'm growing and learning at, to be a better leader. And I think unless you view leadership as something that you continually have to improve upon, that you've never quite made it, and as women that's so easy for us to do, um, you won't continue to grow and evolve as a person and a leader. And uh, Sonia? Um, when it comes to leadership and, and continuing to develop as a leader, um, you want to kind of seek those positions that are going to challenge you. Um, so don't only take the positions where you feel like you're extremely well qualified. Um, look for those things where um, you can add to your skill set, whether it's technically or leadership-wise. Um, just make sure to seek out those opportunities and, and don't be afraid if you need to um, do some learning on the job. And lastly, Christy. <laughs> What's the question again? The, um, the question is, what, do you, what are you doing to ensue you continue to grow and develop as a leader? Okay. Um, so I guess the main, the main things for me in my, my field is to keep up with technology. So it's kind of funny because I'm a figurative sculptor and I, um, my passion is Renaissance techniques. I lived in Italy um, with the University of Michigan for a year and uh, so my specialty is Renaissance art. Um, but I've learned as a teacher that technology has become such an important part of the classroom and so when 3D printing came about I kind of got interested in that because um, I feel like it's the kind of evolution technology-wise of sculpture. And uh, so I had to kind of teach myself a lot about 3D printing. And I'm still learning tons about the actual printing of objects. Um, but I also was interested as a sculptor in making molds. And that sparked my love for material. So when you're a sculptor, um, there's a lot of 
rubber that you can cast, uh, make a mold out of, and, and create different kinds of sculptures. There's a lot of materials that you can cast in, um, like resins. Um, so the technical side of it started to intrigue me, and so I became an expert at um, tin-based uh, rubbers, lead-based rubbers, uh, polyurethane uh, rubber mold making, silicone mold making, and um, then I kind of um, got into some some technology with this uh, precious metal clay, and it's clay that's metal, and kind of casting with this metal clay and firing it in a kiln, and now it's converging with the 3D printing, and you can actually print in metal and fire it in a kiln and have a metal final object. So. I think that that embracing technology has been the key for keeping growth and development. I also think that um, you got to take classes. You got to, as an artist, I'm always like, oh, what's that new thing? Like this uh, needle felt shop opened down the road, and I'm like, oh, I've got to learn that now. Like every new thing that comes around, I'm just really passionate about uh, figuring it out, taking a new class. Um, so I think that keeping yourself uh, learning, you know, after after you graduate is important. It, it really it gets you networking and socializing with other people. It gets you learning new skills. It keeps keeps you fresh and interested in the world. Um, and do activities related to your field um, as a group if possible. So I do like a fine arts club and critique nights. So find peers and definitely really make those friendships about your work. So you have your friends that are more your social best friends, but you also need to have friends that are about what your interests are, and um, and that's really important to cultivate that group of uh, friends that can can be there for you professionally. Um, and so turn that boys club on the end is the last time I would say, and wherever you're working, try to get uh, women together and go out for coffee and have breakfast, because sometimes um, the office will already be doing that. You won't even be aware that everybody's meeting and you're not there. Uh, and they're talking about all kinds of issues and resolving things before they even come in the door at work. And so it's those little extra levels of things that I would say to grow and develop um, throughout your whole career. Thank you for that. Our next question. Do women in your profession have a hard time getting promoted? We'll start with Judge Cook. Um, the answer to that is a big yes. Um, uh, it's the barriers to becoming uh, an, a judge is going through the elector, electoral process to become, uh, even to become a lawyer now, law schools, yay, are 50% and 51% women, which is awesome, uh, but um, the judiciary is, is not. And um, that's a problem in my view because you know, women make up 50% or more of our population, and it's just so negatively unrepresented. So, um, and the reason for it is because you have to, to become a judge, you have to be elected. And so our community, um, and again, being the first woman to be elected judge in, in the year 2000 seems crazy, but that's what it was. and. Thankfully now, since I've been elected twice and I'm, I'm running for office again, other women have become, have been elected. But our, you know, our fifth judicial district, which makes up six counties in central New York, there are only three women in Supreme Court, which is where I sit, out of 22 judges, 22 Supreme Court justices. 
So that's, that's unacceptable. And the reason is because when you want to become a judge, you have these naysayers, but you have to get them to pick you because you have to become a candidate. So you have to go through the political process. And it's just, it, it's just difficult. So my advice is, again, just keep pushing and network and become involved in politics if you want to be a judge someday. Um, you know, go out and do petitions and canvassing and become involved in the political process. So you're part of the decision making and they can't say no. And so it's just taking women a long time to evolve to get into those power positions and because a lot of these deals are made in the back rooms and we're just not there. So I mean, I, I, I don't know how to say it. You, you know, we're, we're excluded and that's, that's just plain and simple. Um, until you get like a stubborn person like me who just says, no, no, I'm, I'm going to run. And they said, no, we picked our candidate. And I said, no, you picked a candidate, but I'm going to be a candidate. This is not a kingdom. This is an electoral process. There's two or three parties where you can run. So, you know, I'm running. And um, I mean, people wanted to talk about my skirts were too short, I dyed my hair blonde, I wore too much makeup, I wore high heels in parades. I mean, I, I, the stuff they wanted to talk about, and I kept trying to focus the conversation back to, no, I graduated magna cum laude from law school. I'm qualified for this position. So education is the key. Edu my education and my background is how, and my resume, is how I was able to fend off this you know, oh, the Barbie doll judge. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't critique what men wear. I mean, the opponents I ran against looked like Columbo in rumpled up raincoats. I mean, I'm sorry. But I mean, you know, I mean, that's what they look like. And I'm, you know, but, but yet they want to critique what I wear and what I look like. And, you know, so anyway, I'm just, it's a, it's a terrible, onerous process, but you, you can do it and just become part of the process. Be in the back room, be in the decision-making roles, and that's how you get to do that. And I see Pam Mandrick shaking her head because she's been a, um, a county chairperson for a political party, and that's, that's how you're in the room, right, Pam? Okay. Um, just to, to, to continue with that, um, as a female, in, in this career as well as on TV, I can't wear the same dress twice in months. But someone like Don Shipman could wear the same suit five days in a row, no one will call him out. Yeah. That's just, that's that's just how it is. And just a side note, it's not just males bringing females down, it's other females. So you guys oh, absolutely. support each other no matter what. Absolutely. No matter, don't talk behind each other's backs or, you know, or talk to their faces and be rude. You need to support one another, especially in a business that is male dominant. Um, our next uh, person to answer this question is Dr. Maria. Um, do women in your profession have a hard time getting promoted? Before you answer, can you tell everybody about yourself? Um, so, hello. Lesson number one, don't be late. <laughs> but like most women, you're going to be late because you have a million other things that you have to take care of before you can get to your next appointment. But my name is uh, Maria Contaritas. I am a research cardiologist. Um, I'm the new director of research at the Masonic Medical Research Institute. And just to give you a little background about myself, um, and I'm happy to talk to any of you afterwards, um, I started out at the University of Florida. I, was, I grew up in Florida, 
And I thought I went there with a full scholarship. Um, it was what my parents could afford, which was not much, so I had to work my way to getting the grades that I needed to aspire to getting a full scholarship to a university, which I thought was the furthest I could possibly get from my parents at that time, um, and still have a free ride. Uh, and then, as I was finishing my career, I started out as an archaeologist, um, wanting to study archaeology, and then I became interested in carbon dating, so I decided to double major in chemistry, fell in love with chemistry, and ended up going to Yale University for my PhD, which was the best program in pharmacology at that time. Um, and I had so much inspiration from being taught by the people whose books I had been reading for so many years um, that it really kind of pushed me to become the best person I could possibly be. I then went on to get my postdoctoral fellowship at Harvard Medical School. I had my own research lab there for 15 years. And I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to really build a research foundation here in Utica um, last year. So I'm really excited about this opportunity. And I can tell you we have now 37 new people, mostly I've recruited from Boston, um, from Yale, from Harvard, from San Diego State, from other places around the world that are wonderful role models to many of you. And I'm a huge proponent for bringing women up. But to talk about this promotion thing, and I'm sorry for the diatribe, um, one of the major things that I would say is I completely agree with the judge. And actually, I was fortunate enough to be at a keynote um, lecture by um, Judge Sonia Sotomayor, who said something to me that really resonated. It was a room of 200 aspiring women leaders. And she was up there, and somebody said to her, well, you're so successful. How did you do it? What do you think? And she goes, oh my god, I think any day now, someone's going to call me out. <laughs> and she said, does anybody else feel like that, that we're imposters and we just don't belong here? And 200 women in the room raised their hands. And the reality is the, the major hurdle for women is ourselves. We put restrictions on ourselves that society does as well, but your success can be altered and dictated by how far you push yourself. And another really good example of that is, yes, there is bias out there, but I, I was the chair of the women's committee um, at Harvard Medical School, and the business school came over because they had just done a great study to ask why it was that women were not promoted to the same degree as men. And all of us in the room, oh, bias, you know, all these committees are made up by men. That's why. That's not why. The reason is men put themselves up for promotion much more readily than women do. They put themselves up for promotion with the potential for them to fill that new role, that new career, that new job, because they think they can do it. Women don't do that. Women only put themselves up if they have every single thing on the criteria checked off as a potential for them to be able to do that job. And so my advice is put yourself out there. Nobody has 100% of those requirements on that list. Put yourself out there and make yourself known. And you learn as you go. I think many of the women here are saying the same thing, is that we're, we're learning as we go. There are few role models ahead of us. We hope that there will be more by the time you get to that point in your careers. But definitely put yourselves out there.
Okay, thank you for that. Next question, have you ever experienced a gender pay gap? We're gonna start with Linda. Well, first, I just want to say, before I was getting ready to come here this morning, my husband and I are both getting ready in the bathroom, and I said, you know, honey, I'm so excited to be and honored to be a part of this. I can't believe they actually asked me to be a panelist. And I said, I think I'm finally making a name for myself. He said, honey, you've been there. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I, I digress. Um, so there was actually a, an opportunity that came up where I was asked to teach some classes locally. And I knew the gentleman who had been teaching them before me, and he was going to be leaving and going out of state. So I went in for the interview. They actually told me exactly what they were paying that gentleman to teach the classes, and they said, come back to us with a proposal if you're interested. So I did, and I did the exact same rate as what he had been you know, getting for those same classes. And believe it or not, they said, are you sure you wouldn't take less? And I, in those two seconds in my brain, I said, screw up the courage to do this right, girl. <laughs> and I said, you know what? That gentleman is not certified to teach those classes. I am. If anything, I should be asking you for more money. And they said, okay, well, we'll take your proposal. Thank you, we'll start next week. That's all Good I for you. <laughs> so. And um, Captain Dare. So um, the keynote speaker later today and I um, actually knew each other when we were in high school and I attend a lot of Tracy's events and she is an enormous proponent. I guarantee you she's going to spew statistics on how horrible the pay differential is between men and women. And I also, so I mentioned earlier you have to believe in yourself and your accolades so I piggyback on what you said because if you don't believe in yourself and put yourself out there, and I'm going to go back to those 10 women that were in that class, every single one of them in some way maybe held themselves back or second-guessed themselves, right? So you have to ask for it. And one of the things Tracy preaches to all of the networking things that we go to is ask for more money. Now, I will tell you I've had good and bad results. I asked for more money for my first job. I got it. I also didn't get a pay raise for two years because I asked for that money early on. Now maybe I made more early on, but that, that was a consequence of that. I also asked for more money for one position. I negotiated an increase in six months. Six months to the day, I was let go. Whether it was because I asked for that money or not, I don't know. Um, I, I, that, I think that was a contributing factor. But you have to ask. So there's a lot of statistics that you will, how many times did you fail before you were successful? How many times did Babe Ruth swing a bat and didn't hit a home run when he did? How many times have you failed? So you have to be willing to fail. You have to be willing to accept those no's. So you keep asking and mark off every no you get because eventually you get a yes. And it's the yeses that you're gonna remember, not the no's. And also just to say a little bit more about that, do your research as well. Uh, you want to be informative as you're going into those meetings for asking for the promotions or the raises so you know what you're, you're asking for something reasonable, not, you know, lowering yourself to a lower standard when you actually should be making 